Welcome to this edition of the Urantia Radio Podcast. And on this edition, uh, a listener request. It's like playing the hits. We're going to uh, go back in our archives. And I found a nugget from my interview with Byron Beletsos from 2017. It's a great interview. He is the author of Your Evolving Soul. And he's a great public speaker. He's done a lot of events talking about the Urantia book to a lot of people. And he's just a good guy all around. So here is that interview from about uh, four years ago that I had with Byron Beletsos, author of Your Evolving Soul, this time up on the Urantia Radio Podcast. Welcome to Candidly Speaking, this time up. We are excited to have with us the author of Your Evolving Soul, the cosmic spirituality of the Urantia Revelation. Byron Belitzos is a leading exponent of the Arantia book. He's been trained in philosophy, psychology, history, and theology. He's also a publisher, editor, and co-author of numerous acclaimed and award-winning books, including many related to the Arantia Revelation. He joins us, Byron Belitzos, our guest this week on Candidly Speaking. Why should mankind in the current age care about something as esoteric as the soul? Uh, good question, uh, and thanks for having me on on the show. I really appreciate it. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's said to be esoteric by by those who are uh, kind of on the outside looking in, who are in the sort of the materialistic technological age that it's all about <clears throat> what's outside and not so much what's inside, and it, it's it's really we want to reverse that picture and begin from the inside out doesn't mean we don't go from the outside in but uh we're we're weighing things back in the other direction of the inner life of course and with the rancher revelation all the wisdom traditions are telling us the same thing that it's about uh, the the growth of the person the spiritual growth of the person but the soul is the place to focus when we think about inner the inner life because that's the part of our inner life that we manage that we that we with our decision making power can uh, co-create versus other parts of the self which we don't we, we you know we're, we are not in control of uh, of, of these things uh, such as uh, we don't control the thought adjuster you know the, mm-hmm. the spirit self within <laughs> it's um, self-acting in, in many cases or you know it's certainly infallible in all cases um, we we receive our personality from the father and it's uh, in a certain sense it's arbitrary and we don't control the unique personality that we receive and the mind is yes we have intellectual growth but <laughs> the capacity of the mind is an endowment from as we're told from the divine mother from mother spirit uh, but the soul is 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 within the arena of choice, of course, and so we want to focus on who we are, what we are, what we're growing into become, and we know from the Arantia book that we're growing toward perfection. So in the book, I I really break break it into two two aspects. There's what I call soul making, and then the other aspect is self perfecting. And and those two, I think, uh, encompass all of the efforts that we have within. But getting back to your question, you know, why why is this important? It's because it's the only asset you have that you take with you into the uh, into the afterlife. And um, we're so focused on our life here, but you know, we have an eternal life, and 
you know, we um, are kind of little rocket ships that are going up into the heavens. <clears throat> and what the kind of the payload of the ship is that you're really carrying uh, that's special is is your um, most precious asset, mm-hmm. your soul, your evolving soul. So that that's one way to answer that question. Well, you covered uh, several different things all at once, forms, if you will, uh, the personality, the spirit, the soul. And from my perspective or perspective I think is fairly common, when you observe people today, most people are spiritually, I think, illiterate, not that it's their fault. Uh, A lot of it is cultural, but sometimes I don't know if people understand what the differences are between those those entities, I guess. Uh, so let's break it down if we could, because you do go into this about the triad and, and the different elements that constitute our very selfhood. So uh, for a lot of people, they don't know what what's the difference between the spirit and the soul. So could you, in, in layman terms, explain what the difference is, what, what different, uh, differentiates between the soul and the spirit, and then also uh, the personality and and all of the, the constituent parts of our being. Oh, thank you for another big question. <laughs> yeah, long Good question, question too. Um, <laughs> um, the you know the, the the breakdown or the distinction between the soul and the spirit you would have thought would have been worked out <laughs> by by the ancients by in the scriptures and, and uh, by uh, Christian you know the, the Christian. Um, New Testament, and it was not. It, it actually became obscured um, in comparison to some ancient teachings. For example, Egyptian teachings had a better mm. distinction between the spirit and the soul, and and that did come into you know Mediterranean religious um, uh, you know culture, but it was lost, and and uh, I think it's very um, telling. That um, that this this fundamental distinction is is not present in today's you know Christianity, and certainly not in in other religions with any clarity. So, getting to basics, the the spirit is the God fragment that is given uh, to us. Uh, I I believe it it you know it's clearly you know clear to us in the Rancho Revelation that it is not given at birth. It is given. When a child is ready for it, uh, the child is ready for it when they have their first moral decision. That's when they have what we call moral autonomy uh, status. So, for example, <laughs> so choosing comes- not to steal a, a, piece, a piece of candy or knowing that somebody did something wrong, maybe a sibling, and trying to wrestle with whether they should tell somebody that kind of a moral decision? Yeah, that kind of moral decision, like, you know, well, I guess I'll share this, this toy with my brother, but I've been, you know, hoarding it, but, you know, maybe I should do it, you know. So mm-hmm. they get this impulse that is um, that is the, the first sign of the true independent moral thought, because these are thoughts. Mm-hmm. So the thought adjuster, this God fragment, is 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 comes very quietly, very, you know, very silently. It's a real huge cosmic event. And it and it's and it's an evidence that the universe is watching every little child, and so this God fragment is pure deity, pure God. We're taught, <clears throat> and 
in Christianity, there is some sense of this, this they call it the pnevma, you know, which is the word we get uh, pneumonia, right? right. Breath. Mm-hmm. And so this pnevma, as they call it, uh, is, is, is identified as distinct from the sihi, the psyche, or sihi, uh, we get the word psychiatry, and, and that is distinguished in some biblical passages. And so the soul uh, is, the, again, as I was saying earlier, is that part that is the co-created uh, entity from the moment that one has the God fragment. When the God fragment is now present, then a alchemical process can occur that is sort of the, the the God fragment is the spark plug, and the combustion is is is, is in the engine is 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 provided the energy the fuel for that you might say is provided by the from above from the thought adjuster, but also from below, from the moral um, choices that this child is now making, so that the the mind of that child that the material mind. Is now has the capacity to choose among options, and and that also contributes to the combustion. Mm-hmm. And uh, in the book, you describe it as a co-creative process where you've really got a partnership between the experiencing person, which is you or me, and then the spirit component of it is actually a fragment of God or the light of life or you know whatever the term is. And these two entities form one entity infusion, uh, for lack of a better term, and that is the soul. So, in essence, our life here is our, our soul really is in an embryonic form during our short life on Earth. Correct? Yeah, it's an embryo embryo of something that will become mature, and I think you know we get some relative soul maturity in this life, but not you know relative to the afterlife. It's you know we're like we're like infants. Mm-hmm. In our in our soul development, and uh, the, so the soul, of course, is is an energetic reality. It's it is sub, it's in substance. It is very distinct from the God fragment, right? The, the God fragment is pure spirit. The soul is marancha, as we say in the Arantia book, of course, and mm-hmm. marancha is the energy that intervened that is in the mid mind, so to speak, as the midwayers use the phrase. So it's not the material mind, and it's not the spirit self. It is in, in, in between. It is a distinct, logically distinct subject, uh, you know, uh, um, entity from everything else. It has its own uh, status and standing in the universe, uh, distinct from the spirit self, distinct from the personality of, of the person. And I... I insist on that, in, you know, at least from my studies, that that the personality is a distinct substance from the spirit, which is distinct from the soul. And these three distinct substances are yet work together as one in a system. Uh, but we we need to um, we need to tease out their differences in order to understand how that system works. I call it the self system. We almost miss it when we study the Urantia Revelation. Uh, I did for many years. Uh, these passages, just a few of them, to say it's a record. It's a it's like a journal entry. Each each experience, which is soul making, uh, 
gets laid down like on a hard drive uh, as a as a uh, immortal potentially immortal record, and they call it a transcript too. They call this uh, uh, with the with this very literal term of a transcript, <laughs> but of course it's a different energetic reality. Well, I mean, and, for all uh, of us who carry around our smartphones and we record everything we do, it's almost like we have an internal DVR that is constantly on and constantly monitoring our mental activity and our experiences. This is one of the, the questions that's not not, not easy to, to uh, address um, and not, uh, not really answered in my book. It's an area for research. There seems to be a recording of every moment of one's life as distinct from a recording of every worthy treasure of your life. And as I was working on this book and going back and back and back to these passages in the UB um, and comparing it to other source material we have about these sorts of things, it became clear that the life reviews that people have in these near-death experiences may not may not literally be their soul record. It may be the seraphim's record. The oh, guardian you know, that's a good record. point. You're right. Okay. Yeah, it doesn't, it's not so salient in, in the UB, but there there's, you know, these pastors that say, <clears throat> you, you once you get to the third circle and, and you, you've made that level of maturity, then you get assigned your seraphim, but of course and it says there's actually two of them, but one of them is in the background, and that's the recording seraphim, so they don't say much about it, but the seraphim is a powerful being, and uh, how do they, you know, what are they doing? So it, it would seem that they're recording uh, every moment. And um, I I know that in, you know, in some, you know, Edgar Casey followers of Edgar Casey call us the Akashic Record, or the Akasha, <clears throat> and, um, and Casey said that there is sort of like these books that have every moment of your life in this library, so to speak. So I think that is uh, sort of the library of the recording angel, and it, it may be that that is what people see in the near-death experience, because many of them report that it's every moment of their life. <clears throat> so that's distinct from uh, every soul-making moment. So I think that the thought adjuster is the other recording um, d- uh, sort of device, <laughs> and it's it's only selecting. It's selecting sort of like an editor, really. It's selecting the best, uh, the best, uh, the greatest clips. hits, <laughs> the greatest the hits clip. of Byron Belton tonight. <laughs> the greatest hits. There we go. <laughs> yeah. So in a sense, uh, some of the older religions yeah. uh, do have it right uh, when you think about karma and. Not so much maybe that not every action uh, has a direct reaction. The the point being, obviously, that we are held accountable for our actions, but not so much accountable, but it's it's a process of learning how to make better decisions, correct? So when we go, when we are attempting to be more spiritual in our outlook or in our life, it really comes down to the, de- the decisions that we make on a day-to-day basis, right? The decisions we make uh, are uh, what, what we're accountable for. And, you know, of course, we don't have the model of punishment that is in in some of the karma teachings about karma is that you're being sort of punished and they're going to send you back to kindergarten, you know, have a new life on earth so that you can 
learn your lessons and that you didn't learn the first time. And we don't really, you know, have that view in the UB and even in, you know, advanced Christianity that it's a punitive uh, universe. It's a friendly universe. And so, but what what's also a little bit ironic about it is that uh, it would appear to me that the thought adjuster is not simply selecting your best moments, like when I was really out there doing doing the great work and the shining and choosing truth, beauty, and goodness, and that's it, you know. It's also selecting your most poignant moments. But there are, there are other moments when you're moving in the wrong direction and you're making mm. decisions that are not good decisions and they're not particularly truthful, you know, moments in your life. But they're but they're they they're poignant in the in the sense of the word poignant meaning they're they're important they're powerful and those go into the soul I believe that the, that those because that's you that's how you are in this world and so it's a depiction of your of your character good bad and and ugly is is and and I I have you know quibbles with other Urantia book interpreters on this. Mm-hmm. So it's it's up it's definitely up for debate and research. Uh, that um, as I read the, the Urantia text and other texts, the uh, human soul. You know, if, if you're a, a sort of a dark character like Hitler, you know, uh, you have a soul, and the soul has your dark decisions because they're your decisions and. And if you if you went out of your way to make a bad decision, <laughs> mm-hmm. that is that is part of the soul's um, profile. Mm-hmm. So in a way, our minds are kind of like a, a, a continually growing database of all of our experiences and relationships, um, even cl- including the bad ones. And I think maybe that's what. Because as I read the thought adjusters, and for those who don't know what that term means, it's exactly the same as the perfected spirit of God that, as Byron was saying, comes into you at the time of your first moral decision. So, But the the thought adjuster is keeping record of these things as well. It's keeping record of these things uh, so that deity, God the Father, who's outside of space and time and outside of human experience— has a window in in what it's like to be down here, and and the fathers need to experience our lives, experience our experience, encompasses experiencing our adversity and experiencing our bad choices that that all add up to you know the human endeavor to make it through this life. So they're not just into the smiley good things of your life. You know, it's not all happy news. Uh, and and it's it's the news that that counts. And if you if you decide to get into a marriage that's a bad marriage, that's part of the drama of your life that gets preserved in your life. Now you know the, 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 there's the, there's the the issue of did you learn from that bad marriage? <laughs> right. But even if you were making mediocre decisions in the marriage, those are your decisions, and those have impact on the soul. Now. You might put it this way, that if, if they're low-quality decisions, you're going to have a low-quality soul. Um, and But if you had to make a lot of decisions, and if they weren't the world's greatest decisions, it still counts in your favor because you've had to deal with many degrees of, of problems, 
uh, and confronted many forms of adversity, and that that does make the soul bigger because you've you've done a lot of things, but they weren't very high quality. But if you also make high quality uh, decisions and you have many of those decisions, that's the ideal, I think. And what I say in the book and later in the book is that we're looking; they're looking for people that make a lot of decisions. And, and that they're high-quality decisions. But they'll accept people that make a lot of decisions who are, that are not very high-quality. Mm-hmm. You're just going to have to work on something different when you get, when you get to the afterlife. <laughs> I want to read a quote uh, here because it's so well put, and it kind of leads into the next statement of conversation. Uh, here we go. It says, uh, God especially works through the medium of primary values. He ensures, for example, that beauty is clearly visible in our immediate environment, because of the unmistakable presence of that which is attractive, God's human partners are aroused and awakened. Uh, for example, the aura of a lovely woman motivates ordinary man to unselfish and courage behavior. So what you're basically saying is because of the fact that we have these, these personalities, because we are people, we are selves, and because God is the ultimate self, the original and even the bestower of, of of personality, that's our connection. The fact that we can uh, put value or appreciate beauty is really a a godlike character, and that is more or less, would you say, proof that there is a, a divine being. And to me, that was a really standout line: that beauty is a clue. It, the fact that we appreciate beauty and truth and love truth and love each other is proof that there is something more than just physical going on. In a way, you know, the presence of beauty is, is proof. It's but I would call it intellectual proof <laughs> as, as, a, as opposed to sort of logical proof or, or uh, you know, spiritual proof. <clears throat> or it's even spiritual proof, but it's, it's, it's proof that the mind can have a cognitive relationship with something that is self-transcending. Uh, and values that are that are uh, that are pure values that motivate at the highest uh, energy uh, of, of 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 reaching up, and so yes, I, I, you know we're told that that this is your best uh, your your best chance to cognitively understand the divine is by the perception of these primary values of truth, beauty, and goodness. That are present that are planted sort of in your environment to lure you uh, upward and inward. So you know, I think it's part of the divine design uh, to provide these these moments where we can recognize and, and certainly where we can say this is better than that. You know, these are the moral decisions we make. These are not decisions about truth, but decisions about what action to take in relation to another person. And, and the ability to, make, to discern the difference between uh, a good act and a really good act, to really go go into the deeper end of the pool of of goodness, uh, to to forgive somebody who's who's hurt you, um, and and to and forgive from the heart. Uh, that that's that to be able to recognize that choice is something that is a gift. It's it's transcendent. I call it self-transcending. Mm-hmm. 
And so I've gone into a lot of verbiage there. I hope I addressed your question. No, you did. Absolutely. Um, what motivated you to write the book? And how long did it actually take you to write the book from beginning to actually getting the uh, ISBN number and getting it published? I started on this subject in 1995. Uh, I mm. wrote a, a short article that was published in a, a Urantia publication uh, on the soul. And um, I had noticed... Uh, uh, you know that there was a lot of talk about the soul in the '90s, uh, in uh, in uh, psychology. Then I, I kind of put it aside, and the writing of the book took three years—the last three years—and mm. one one intensive year uh, in the end to finish it up. Was it hard for you to paraphrase? It's not easy to take some of the more complex concepts within the Urantia book and funnel it down, but even still, it. Even in its simplicity, uh, Byron, unless you're somewhat familiar, it can go right over your head. And you must have known that writing it. How do I, how do I get my point across without going over the audience's head? Yeah, right. <laughs> well, you have, to, you have audiences that you're targeting. I, I am targeting a fairly educated audience. Um, and um, I have been uh, inspired to do a new uh, book in a year or two. And and uh, that will be a little bit more simple and straightforward, and uh, that should uh, be for those who are more beginners with this kind of material. Mm -hmm. But I wanted to you know, sort of target those who are um, more philosophic in this in this uh, in this book, uh, because those are the only folks that are really going to get down with the Urantia book uh, in the end. Uh, if they're not philosophically inclined, they will not like it very mm -hmm. much, and they will not. Uh, appreciate the distinctions that it makes. The the world of academics, and even in the world of psychology, there seems to be a secular shift away from anything that even smells like religion. Are you hopeful that this book will somehow make it to the level where it can be a discourse or a, or a thesis for someone in some college somewhere? It's, it's making some inroads already, um, and, and that is part of the audience, important part of my audience is academics or to support academics because I was an academic and there was no support uh, for anybody on this subject matter So, uh, because there was no literature to cite. There was nobody to footnote. There was mm -hmm. nobody writing at this this level mm -hmm. until recently. And uh, those people need this. Uh, but I, I've had more than a few academics uh, supporting this uh, that are outside of our community, actually. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Do you find that today's religion lacks imagination. I wouldn't say they lack imagination, but they lack, um, they're politicized, and they, uh, you know, from the beginning, you know, you ran, uh, or the uh, Christianity was politicized, and kind of with the Gnostics, the Gnostics got some essential truths that were very inconvenient for the powers that be, so they chopped those out. And and they wanted to give up kind of a re reduced, dumbed-down version of things, and they persecuted and uh, and rid the, you know the entire Mediterranean world of these deep thinkers. And so yeah, and, and I think you know so what you get in this in that scripture is is not sufficient for the modern age to imagine who and what we are and where we're going. It's not even close, really, you know, because we have so many advanced you know, technologies and, and areas of knowledge now, but this is lags far behind 
in its depth, specificity, in the kind, the level, the quality of the distinctions that are made, it's it's really really tardy and lacking. So we we really need to upgrade that, and it's it's that's why I'm kind of assertive and aggressive with my work right now. Mm-hmm. Having been around, you know, my you know many decades watching the culture decline into so much confusion about yeah. why we're here, who, what we're doing, what, what's it all about, and, and and people just resort to to the lowest common denominator because they don't they don't really have much to hang their hat on as to uh, their spiritual life. I I tend to remain positive about the macro of the human experience, the big picture, uh, and certainly the Urantia Revelation gives you a much broader scope and a much bigger, larger view of not only the universe, but our world and our lives and our cultures and how we evolved over time. But it's the micro of things that bo- that are bothersome, seeing the, the sort of tribalism that's emerging in even in America or around the world. Uh, subgroups are starting to, to solidify and separate. In the macro world, do you worry that mankind is losing its soul, or are you encouraged that people still care about such things? It's kind of both, you know. It's 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 it, we're kind of going up and we're going down at the same time. Mm-hmm. There's this huge movement upwards, and it's being because of spiritual pressure from above, as is said in the Arantia book. But then there's this huge downward movement, and and sort of fragmentation, which is the result of the rejection of higher revelation in some in some degree, because the Arantia book, for example, has been more or less rejected by the current generation. So they're, you know, and what do they have to fall back on? You know, the Bible? Well, the Bible's really vague and out of date. It's also full of great truth. Uh, and and so they, they kind of break into two groups, fundamentalists, which is a real big issue, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and those who just get really vague about their spirituality. And then, of course, there are the New Age folks who tend to uh, distort and are very vague also and very fragmented. So where do you turn, you know? And uh, in a way, you can't blame people for being so, you know, despairing and, and, um, and turning, you know, making, you know, turning to false prophets. We're going to self-destruct because we don't have the values embedded in our culture that can deal with the power of the technology. Yeah, you know, I just had surgery uh, uh, last week, and I was pretty amazed at how I knew I knew going in it was going to be like this, but it was really extreme. They had almost no human touch to this thing. It was just cut this guy up and spit him out, (laughs) Mm. and uh, uh, it was really uh, upsetting and and uh, and angered me. um, And I'm I'm, I didn't go in naive about this. Mm-hmm. Um, and and we, you know we're we're destroying ourselves all the time, and we are not going to make it a thousand years without uh, you know an update of these values. So I you know I just really like you worry about the current moment, but we know that that our Creator Son, as in the Rancho book. Christ Michael mm-hmm. is going to protect his planet in the long term and will pull us through. He's got a vested and interest. enough of us. Right? He's got a vested interest mm-hmm. in all of his children, and in particular this planet. So, you know, each generation that, that sort of dies off, you know, gets, 
gets rehabilitated in the afterlife. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but but if, if if a generation can grow up and show up and you know and wake up in this life, I mean that is the goal, and and that will happen. It may not be this generation. It doesn't look very good right now. Social media. I can't tell if it's a reflection of our worst side or a. Uh a contribution to our better natures. I, I can't figure out which is ahead in that race. Uh, and I, and again, you know, there have been so many sh- social upheavals in the last 40, 50 years. What is it, the quote? It's not exact, but it says, there's been more change in our lifetime than all of the previous generations combined. Uh, so, it, it, you know, it's not without one to speculate that maybe the Arantia book arrived when it did because intellectually we're far in advance of where we used to be uh, in, in all the sciences except for our spiritual understanding. That seems to be the one area. And you talk about the triad uh, in your book about the soul, about the three important elements of of the soul. The, the triad, as I call it, the inner triad, mm-hmm. uh, is at the top of it is the personality, then the spirit, the God fragment. This is really the, in, in status, in mm-hmm. cosmic status. The personality is prior to the, to the spirit, uh, and right. the spirit is prior you know, to the soul. So those three together work in, as a trio, but there is, they're, they're not equal. <laughs> mm-hmm. they're, they're not exactly equal partners. Um, and and getting getting that 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 dist- set of distinctions into psychology, psychiatry, even things like medicine, would revolutionize those fields, and pole vault us forward. So in a way, all of us are, are in the same boat of trying to bring these distinctions to the world in a mission of, of a clarification. <laughs> Mm-hmm. of who we are and where we're why we're here what we're doing and who are our creators and mm-hmm. what what is their design of the human self this is essential knowledge there's a great line byron in your book i love this i'm going to read it to you i've never heard it before but it made a heck of a lot of sense when you said it, it said god does not owe us continued existence if we refuse to accept the purpose of existence <laughs> it's our decision it, it's not carte blanche how do you think psychiatry today is getting it wrong about the the human self because it seems like the emphasis is on treatment and medication what is missing in psychiatry which is so prevalent in our world today what are they missing when they seek to attempt to understand and define uh, and treat the human personality all the things we're talking about are missing you know uh, uh, the, they're missing a, a, a concept of the self <laughs> that that is spiritual uh, spiritual as it was at the root and the root of psychiatry comes from this word psyche which means soul <laughs> they have given up that the soul exists they have no concept of the soul if they have any if they use the word they use it in a very vague way but in mainstream psychiatry it's just the brain it's just the uh, the, the the biochemical uh, aspects of the brain um, the dynamics of of what's happening in in the synapses the material connections that are being made are, are uh, uh, reign over the entire field <clears throat> in neuroscience uh, in general. And, of course, these are really important contributions at that level, but they, they're way out of whack uh, when we don't coordinate them with these higher attributes of the self. 
they're missing the meaning of this, and it's because their training is completely uh, reductionistic and materialistic. Mm-hmm. It's 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 an appalling situation that it's turning around, but very slowly. How can we find out more about you, Byron Belletzos? I have a site. Uh, it's evolving-souls, S-O-U-L-S, souls, dot org. And just come there and sign up. Uh, I, I'm doing... Uh, my own sort of radio interviews as well. It's called Evolving Souls Podcasts. But I'm, I'm circulating and speaking and happy to come to speak to uh, any community in the, in the country. Okay, so it's evolving-souls.org. Byron, it's been, it's been a real pleasure uh, catching up with you and talking to you today. It's been wonderful. Thank you so much again, and I look forward to being back in, in this conversation. Once again, thanking Byron Belitzos, our guest on Candidly Speaking, author of the book, Your Evolving Soul, The Cosmic Spirituality of the Arantia Revelation. 